Hello everyone, Rev Brad here. So I'm on a month-long sabbatical through January. I'm absolutely needing some spiritual and physical rest and renewal. But I didn't want to just go radio silent on the podcast. So my very best mate from seminary, Fraser K, has lent his voice and creative talents, and for the next few weeks, he'll be coming to you from the touchline. Fraser's a minister in Glasgow, Scotland, amongst other things, and he served in churches in three different countries. He really has a heart for mentorship and leadership development. A couple of his published books and audiobooks appear on Smile Amazon. Just look up Fraser K. K is spelled K-A-Y. Well, for the next few weeks, Fraser's gift to me and you is a rendition of The King's Table, a biblical monologue featuring Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, who went from ruin to royal court. That's right, I said Mephibosheth. Say that four times fast if you can. Well, I've broken up the story into four different segments, so we'll have each segment each week, and I'll tag in at the end of each segment with a few questions for reflection that are more oriented towards the footballer. Thanks for listening to From the Touchline. Here we go. He's found the space, and he's found the back of the net. Just a little off foot, thinking he's going to go far post. Not strong enough with his right hand. Whips that one in. Far post, almost made him in, and they have. He has the hat trick. The second in his career. The third of the night. The hat trick hero. Talked about you're not going to be able to sustain that kind of pressure. the corner, goes towards the near post, and you're the angle, and what a goal! What a goal! My journey from ruin to the royal court. Look at me. Look at these mangled feet and bent skinny legs. Not very attractive, are they? Been this way since I was five years old. Tragic accident. And since I can't walk... I can't work. For a long time now, a man called Makir has let me stay with him. That was until last year, before the chariots arrived one afternoon, hooves and wheels kicking up dust. But I'm getting ahead of things. Allow me to introduce myself and tell you my story. My name is Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan. I'm one of the few descendants left of Saul, the first king of Israel. For years our country was often at war with the Philistines, our neighbours and main enemy. When I was five, the army of Israel was again going head-to-head with the Philistines, who had gathered their forces near Mount Gilboa, a rugged peak well north of here. The king, his sons, including my father, and all the leading fighters were there. The entire country was definitely on the back foot. You could smell the fear. It had been that way for a while. We'd been losing far more than winning. Late one afternoon, a messenger arrived, sweating and shouting. The news was numbing. My father and my grandfather the king, along with two of my uncles, had been killed in that latest massive mountaintop battle against the Philistines. They were all such brave men, but now all dead. The country was defeated, fractured, no leadership. With the king no more, the lives of everyone related to or connected with him were especially at risk. We had to run, fast. We escaped, 
but it was terrifying. Sheer pandemonium. Everybody rushed out of the house at once. Since I was only five, my nurse grabbed me, and, lifting me up, she ran as fast as she could to escape. We didn't even have time to grab any spare clothes. In her haste, she slipped. I still remember hearing the sickening crack as I landed awkwardly with the full weight of her body on top of me. My ankles burned. I curled into a ball, my face screwed up. But my mouth was silent. She scooped me up again. We simply had to keep going, keep running. There was no time to stop and think about my poor father and grandfather. Moments later, bouncing up and down in her arms as she ran, I finally let out a wail, a piercing howl. You know, the kind a child expels following the first breathless moments after they've been hurt. I continued to weep as she carried me along the road, my tears coming out in great warm globules running down my cheeks. It's as if hands of fire had grabbed each ankle. Something wasn't right. A short distance later, we pulled off to the side of the road, my nurse panting and sweating. My ankles had become like large oranges, swelling up before our eyes. Oh, Mephibosheth, I'm so sorry, the nurse cried out earnestly as she examined them. How I longed for someone to pour cold water over my ankles to help soothe the pain. But there wasn't any nearby. Taking off part of a sleeve, she gently bandaged them as well as she could. Looking back now, my feet reflected the country itself, fallen and shattered, broken and swollen. We eventually ended up in Lodibar, a good three days' walk from here, if you can walk, that is, across the other side of the Jordan River. It is dry and remote, as forgettable a town as you can imagine. They chose the right name. Lodibar means no pasture. There's nothing there. Makir ended up taking us in. He managed to scrape a living together. My broken ankles couldn't be reset, but we'd hoped that they might recover better than they did. But no. My feet became a pair of frozen stumps as I grew, attached to the living body of a little boy longing to run about with his friends. My legs limp and thin. I was given two long sticks to help me keep my balance, like these. I've been hobbling around ever since. I can't stay upright for long though, even with support. The other boys and girls played, yelled and laughed, but I couldn't join in with their joyful antics. How I longed to feel once more the air blowing through my hair, just like I did when I was smaller. Do you remember doing that as a child? Running down a hill, hands in the air, enjoying the breeze? Or the thrill of being chased by the other children, trying not to get caught? Or chasing them? But at least I could drag my feet along, somehow work them together. Whereas the country had descended into civil war. North versus South, one against the other. The South was now led by a man called David. 
He and my father, Jonathan, had been firm friends in their youth. One of my remaining uncles became the leader of the North. He was completely incompetent and ended up being brutally murdered one night in his own bed. It was rumoured that David had something to do with it, but it was hard to tell what the truth was. After some years, David was eventually crowned as king of both the South and the North, uniting them. He took control of Jebus, making it the capital of Israel and building up its protective walls. He renamed it Jerusalem, the city of David. A neighbouring king dispatched an envoy with the best wood, carpenters and stonemasons to build him a grand palace. After his coronation, our arch-enemies, the Philistines, were none too pleased, so they mustered their entire army and attacked. Twice. Each time, David smashed them. Back-to-back defeats of our main enemy. The sense in the whole country was like we'd finally stood up to a great bully. You remember the feeling forever. We were on top, the Philistines on the bottom. It seems everyone is delighted with David's leadership. The Lord is clearly with him. Don't you think it's helpful if you've got national leaders who obey God and do what's right for the people? Thanks, Fraser. That's a powerful question. As footballers, I think we can relate to Mephibosheth. You know, the game for some can leave us feeling like our legs or our lives are mangled. And we just don't know what's next. We don't know where we'll find work or how God might provide. So I want to ask you a few questions for reflection based on this first part of the story. Now, if the question doesn't fit you or apply, just ignore it and hopefully another one will be more suited for you. So here's the first one. In what ways have you been, quote unquote, crippled by football? Physically? You know, maybe you've had countless surgeries and you've had a lot of damage to you physically during the, during the game. What about emotionally? Are there ways that the game has crippled you emotionally? You know, maybe you've heard or seen or experienced things that have really rocked you, shaken you to your core. Could have been a parent or a coach telling you you're not good enough or something else. What about spiritually? What are ways that you've been spiritually crippled by football? You know, maybe you've compromised some part of your faith, or maybe you've compromised morally to be part of the beautiful game. Here's the next question. Is it hard for you to see success at your own expense, even if you're on the same quote-unquote team? You know, Mephibosheth sees David's success, and it's good for the nation. But his own family, they're in shambles. He had lost his father, his grandfather, and two uncles in battle. So here's a question for you. Is it hard for you to see, enjoy, relate to the success that might have come at your own expense? Here's a final question. Isn't it helpful to have national leaders who obey God and do what's right, right for the people? This is the question Fraser asked at the end. Think of your own home nation. What does its leadership look like? Or the football club where you're at? Consider leadership in really any context that you might be in. Does that leadership follow God? Do they look after the best interests of the people? What about you in the role God's given you, in the leadership and authority and places of influence that he has you in right now? 
These are good questions to think about. This is Reb Brad coming to you from the Touchline.